Nature's Comics. Wait a minute. No, but... Hey, mister, turn around. Uh, excuse me, are you... Hello, Tim. Bruce! It was you, wasn't it? You did it. You were the hemming for guy who saved Dad. Did you turn on the same flight? No, I've been overseas for some months recuperating. But I wanted to make sure he got back to Gotham okay. And to see if you were still in one piece. Boy, do we need to talk. But hold it. I've only just realized. You're... you're walking. I'm cured, Tim. My back's as good as new. But, uh, but a terrible price was paid to achieve that. But that means you can, you know, you can be Batman again. No, Tim. I've retired. And I've never felt better about a decision in my life. Welcome back to a very special couple of episodes of Hey Kids Comics. I'm Andrew Leyland. I'm Michael Leyland. And in case the clip at the top of the show wasn't a big enough clue, this week we're returning to the Bat Universe to complete our trilogy of Nightfall stories. Where the Bat went wrong, some more of the Bat's greatest mistakes, and who is this Batman anyway? So far we've covered in nauseating detail, Nightfall, back in the first series of this show, which, alas, is no longer available for download because I ran out of space. Did you? Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, we're still working on it. Yeah. <laughs> it's taking a while. <laughs> uh, in that storyline, a fearsome new adversary known as Bane released all of the super criminals from Arkham Asylum, and they probably ran our Dark Knight detective ragged before Bane stepped in and delivered the, the Coupe de Grace and broke the Batman. Then we covered Knight's Quest, covering the Batman's choice for a successor, Jean-Paul Valli, formerly Azriel, as he settled into the role of Batman. It was not a smooth road. Valli, a programmed assassin for the Order of St. Dumas, soon found his methods changing as he became more violent and uncontrollable. Meantime, Bruce Wayne sought medical help before returning to Gotham to confront Jean-Paul, only he was no longer the man he once was. And that's where we pick up the tale. But we have an email. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have to enter. So we're going to flip back to Spider-Man Month for the email. Oh, right. Mike must have heard you. Did I? Because last week you said, Mike Bailey's not sent us an email. And this week in, he has. In, in those tears. In, in that exact voice, yeah. This week he sent us an email. And he sent it to the Hey Kids Comics address, which I was quite impressed with. Because it means I don't have to remember that he sent an email right. to the other email address. Okay. Well done, Mike. He's, I love the fact that he's allowing for my incompetence. We all do. <laughs> that just amuses me no end. <laughs> this guy's an idiot. I confuse him just by sending it to another email. So I'll, I'll make life easy for him. I'll send it to you. It's much appreciated, Michael, because as has been established many times, I am an idiot. Um, hey there, Leylands. Hello there, Mr. Bailey. Hey, Dr. Nick. <laughs> I'd like to start off with a few thank yous right off the bat. One, 
Thanks to Andy for plugging the fact that Views from the Long Box has returned. You're very welcome. I love Views from the Long Box. It's a fantastic show. I do appreciate that as I'm quite proud to have the show back up and running. Andy's episodes start coming out this week, as of this email at any rate. Uh, uh, yeah, as of this email, my first episode with Mike came out last week, so my second episode will be dropping this week. It's the 31st of May as we record this, so you can work it out from there. So Mike said Andy's episodes start coming out this week and was much fun, was had by, well, us. Yes, it was great fun. I really enjoyed doing them. Okay. You don't listen to him, do you? I don't know. You don't listen to me. I don't. Generally. Well, no, I... I <laughs> you don't? Really I, I don't. have to. <laughs> That's balls. <laughs> Secondly, thank you very much for playing the From Crisis to Crisis Reign of the Superman trailer. It's fair. It's fine. I, I thoroughly enjoy From Crisis to Crisis. Oddly enough, I was listening to the Fantasticast today and heard it there too. So that was cool and weird at the same time. It's hard hearing a trailer you've cut together in the context it was intended to be heard. I will be honest, I tend to be hard on anything I cut together, so when I hear the final product after it's been released to the wild, I tend to hear all of the mistakes. Still, I appreciate the pimpage, not a problem. And if you do a new trailer for when Reign of the Superman finishes, I'll put that up as well. Although I think I've got quite a long while to be able to put Reign of the Superman in, haven't I? Have you? One would imagine so, they're only covering two issues per show. Oh, okay. And Reign of the Superman went on for how many issues? And not two. It was quite a lot, wasn't it? Okay. If memory serves. Finally... Thank you for playing the theme to the 1987 G.I. Joe movie. Oh, you're very welcome. This is my favourite version of the G.I. Joe animated themes, and while it took me a second, I heard it in the background as you were discussing Action Force. I will add two things to Luke's email. The first being, I remember seeing ads for mail order services in the comics I read as a kid, and there would be an Action Force is G.I. Joe over the back issues of Action Force the place was selling. Second, here is the UK Action Force version of G.I. Joe, the movie intro. And he sent us a YouTube link to G.I. Joe, the movie intro. Uh, so we're not going to listen to it. A film, I must confess, I have never seen. But we'll, go, we'll put the YouTube link on. Wow, recording directly from YouTube. We should do an audio commentary there, shouldn't we? This, this looks it looks very 80s. Obviously, we did get this. This is the intro to the UK movie. I'm just going to say, I don't know if we've got this. <laughs> I never saw this. I never watched this. So I don't know what this is. I'd be damned I am not calling it Action Force. It was Action Man. Eagle Eyes and everything. Oh, G.I. Joe. This looks pretty damn awesome. Does it? It looks very... You know what it looks like? Robotech. You never watched Robotech, did you? In the Action 80s. Is the code name for an international, highly trained special mission force. Uh, Robotech was a Japanese anime factory that was supposed to get over here. And it was really good. Organization I used really like Robotech. I don't remember much about it now, but it was good. Uh, see, this does look like something I would have watched, but never did. Anyway. We're not doing an audio commentary for the Action Force movie intro, so why that continues to play? Mike's email continues. The voiceover you hear is by Jackson Beck, who not only did the narration for the various Sunbow G.I. Joe series, but also was the narrator for the 40 Superman radio series. You'll forgive me if I say the UK version lacks the punch and awesome sauce of the American version. Having never seen the American version, I'll take your word for it. And yes, it all comes back to Superman. <laughs> 
Great choices this week as far as your selections. Did you like that? It was very good. Excellent. I love the kid who collects Spider-Man, and I can honestly agree with Andrew that as someone who has lost a loved one to cancer, this story hits close to home. It's such a well-written piece and proves that a brilliant writer Stern was. I also agree with Andrew that the animated version lacks the emotional punch of the comic version. I didn't have much of a problem with the sex of the kid being changed as I did the kid getting out there into the action of the story. It seemed unnecessary. Not bad, but not the best of that show, which I'm currently going through thanks to Netflix. Having recently reread Amazing Spider-Man 252, I have to agree that it was a solid Spider-Man comic. It is fun in hindsight to see them tap dancing around Secret Wars, which probably bugged people at the time. I rather liked the alien costume saga in the comics and thought it was a fun way to shake things up for a while. Most of the subplots running through Amazing at the time were a lot of fun. I've grown to really like the Hobgoblin quite a bit and the Rose made for a fun, organised crime type villain for Spider-Man. As much as I like the whole supervillains that Spider-Man faces, there is something about him taking on thugs and gangsters that I just like just a little bit more. Well, I think that ties into the beginning of the strip where I said either last week or one of the Spider-Man weeks that Spider-Man was a film noir comic with superheroes in it and I still think it is so there was always something about Spider-Man taking on organised crime the whole Black Cat thing was solid but a little too on the nose for my tastes but I probably would have felt differently if I'd read these when they first came out I really liked Mary Jane coming back in the books and I really freaking hated the fire of a thousand suns at May's reaction to Peter dropping out of graduate school and I will let that sit there for a moment otherwise I'll be here all day talking about Aunt May now 90% of the time I hate her <laughs> I've never read the annual Y'all Discussed sounds like a great issue it was go and find it I don't think it's expensive Amazing Spider-Man annual Scorpion takes a bride I especially like the advertisements talk because it brought back the Saturday mornings of my youth. I watched a good deal of the shows you mentioned, including Kid Video, which was an attempt to grab the MTV crowd as the series featured an animated main story and then a live action video at the end didn't get shown over it. Kid Video. The only person in the cast who was of note was the heavyset guy that played Cousin Oliver on The Brady Bunch. I have never watched The Brady Bunch. And if you're interested, here's a video. Watch at your own link. Risk. Risk. Thank you very much. I can't read. So this is Michael's video for um, Michael's link for Kid Video. Who's she? She hot. He looks like Dawson's Creek, but he's got a bad mullet. And there's a fat kid with specs. Oh dear me. My God, this is the nineties. Are you sure this was the nineties? Does, doesn't this 80s. look more like the eighties to you? I like that they've got a pickup truck and a little moped. Ciao. Ciao. That's that Eddie sketch with the old girl. Ciao. Um, this looks quite terrible. Side pants and the sleepers jacket. Oh, dear me. And look, we've got a pretty girl on drums. Which never, ever happens. Wouldn't the pretty girl be the lead singer? She knows her place. They are all wearing... These are some terrible haircuts that we're seeing here on Kid Video. Some terrible acting we're seeing. Oh my god, it's Dr. Eggman. <laughs> I am the Eggman. We are the Eggman. Alright, they've all been turned into animated characters that can act better. And actually look better. Still got his sleeveless jacket. I know, he's still got his sleeves rolled up on his jacket because it was the 80s and, you know, Don Johnson popular. Oh, ah, yeah. leg warmers! What was she doing there? She was touching herself. She was so feeling herself up. If you're not familiar with these opening credits, I do apologise. We've never watched them before. The animated counterparts for the people in this kid video are actually much more stylish than their real-life people. Uh, I pray to God it doesn't. <laughs> uh, we never got that. 
and I can honestly say that uh, I'm not sorry about that. But thank you for showing us, Mike. We um, we appreciated it. <laughs> high fi around me, high tech just turns me on. Pure poetry. I told you she was touching herself. It, she was, yeah. I think this group was the inspiration for Nirvana. <laughs> And by inspiration, I mean in a not-at-all kind of way, fair enough. Uh, yes, um, um, there's a part of it's glad that. The G.I. Joe thing looked a lot cooler than yeah. that, didn't it? One question about your alias talk. I thought that Bendis wanted to use Jessica Drew, a.k.a. Spider-Woman, for alias, and was told no, so he created Jessica Jones. I could be wrong about this, but it seems that Bendis would like a 70s character over an early 80s animated character. Again, I could be wrong, just throwing it out, though. He used her anyway. He's made me think now. She's in it anyway. Jessica Drew is in Alias, isn't she? Yeah. Oh, you've made me think now, Michael. She's a central character in all of his Avengers. Well, he's a big fan of Jessica Drew, isn't he? Maybe, Mike, that's making my spider senses tingle. Maybe it's not Angelica Jones, maybe it is Jessica Drew. And I'm mixing the two of them up. I wouldn't be surprised. Was Jessica was Spider Woman an Avenger though? Is she's what? in some of the issues of Roger Stern's run? I don't remember if she actually was an Avenger. Well, she has been. Has she? Is it we at the point where everyone's been? Not recently. All oh, right. Was she an Avenger in the eighties? I am not sure. I'm not either. Oh damn you, Mister Bailey! You've made me think about that now. It takes a lot to make him think. It does, and you've you've made me ponder. We'll have to look that up. Okay. Okay. And that's it for now, concludes Michael. Look forward to next week's episode, and hopefully I won't get too choked up by the amazing Spider-Man 400 talk, as that book has made me cry in the past. Cheers, Mike. It made me well up a bit when I was reading it. Which one's that? Amazing Spider-Man 400. Where Aunt May's actress died. Oh, right. Aunt May didn't die. I didn't well up. I had hindsight on my side. Yeah, so you, you didn't read it. Well, so I don't think I read it as it came out. I think I read that after the fact. Yeah, but... Oh, right. So, I don't remember. Anyway, thank you very much, Michael. Much appreciated. Um, anyone else, if you want to email us, you know where we are. High fives around me. <laughs> You're going to be singing that kid video intro all day now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this week, we have five luscious comics for you, all of which are double-sized issues. So, we're trying not to waffle on for much too long. But, you know, it probably will happen. Um, continuing our night's end... Or beginning, I should say, shouldn't I? Mm. Our night's end coverage. Night send. Whilst Bruce was away, Marvel's one-man army, the Punisher, dropped by to tangle with the Jean-Paul Valley Batman. Batman Punisher Lake of Fire was a Marvel DC crossover released in June 94 and written by Dennis O'Neill with art by Barry Kitts and James Pascoe. Uh, we're not going to give this full coverage, are we? No. We're just going to glance over it and see what we think, and also give the Night's End stuff some symmetry, in which we will be starting with the Punisher-Batman crossover and ending with one, thanks to Michael Bailey. We have a copy of this to share with you all. Mike sent me this. Did I? Thank you very much, Michael. I didn't have a copy of this. In this story, Jean-Paul is wailing against nothing in the Batcave, so situation normal though the Punisher arrives in Gotham hunting Jigsaw Jigsaw is of course aware of this and feeds the Punisher information that leads him to a specific place the Jigsaw has a hankering to own rocket fuel that ignites water and with this he'll burn the Gotham reservoir uses construction companies to fix the damage for a tidy profit 
The Punisher follows Jigsaw's dud info to a church and is promptly set alight for his troubles. Before he can succumb to the flames, the Batman bursts in all dramatic-like and saves his life. The Punisher tells Batman that he's hunting Jigsaw, who has teamed up with Tony Bressy, who Batman is hunting. The Punisher says he knows how Jigsaw thinks, lives and breathes, but not apparently how he plans his traps and they join forces. For now. After taking out some informants, Batman has one of his fits and Punisher bails, but Batman finds Jigsaw first and discovers the plan is in motion. He still manages to stop the fuel from mixing with the water, though. Punisher tracks Jigsaw and they fight. Punisher hurls Jigsaw off a building, but Batman saves him and leaves him trussed up for the cops, and he leaves to have a chat with the Punisher. The Joker shows up out of nowhere and frees Jigsaw. The Punisher beats Batman and leaves, and Batman stands on a rooftop looking all moody. The end. It wasn't terribly good, this, was it? Not particularly. Um, as a team-up, it kind of fails, because the Punisher and Batman don't really team up. The two bad guys barely meet, and the ending's deeply unsatisfying. The artwork's nice, though. Why did they cross over into the other universe? Oh, we, 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 we know that, that they're separate. Uh, and we know of a rough DC map. So, but in this, they're talking as though the two are together. So if the Marvel heroes in New York just waltz into Gotham, how come we don't have because frequent crossovers? Bollocks. But it also counts no, as continuity. Because no, no, in the next issue we cover, no. Gene Paul goes on about Jigsaw. No! When you do these crossovers, you can spend an inordinate amount of time explaining parallel universes and why they've never met before, and yada yada yada. Or you can just get on with the story. The Superman Spider-Man ones in the 70s just got on with the story. Because of right another time. So, that's better. (laughs) Oh, well, we've never met, despite living in New York for all these years, because you live on a parallel plane of reality. (laughs) Bored! You can have Superman go, hmm, I do no damage to your bad guys, how could this be? Gee, Superman, maybe it's because we come from different universes, we can't harm the other people from the ah, Spider-Man, that is very good. I much prefer the second Superman Spider-Man, where Spider-Man just says, oh, Wonder Woman, she used to live in New York, wonder why I never bumped into her. That's all you need! Get on with the story. So, no, I don't care about that, I just thought this was a bit boring. Anyway, night's end proper. Started in Batman 509, which came out on May 24th, 1994, with a July cover date. The cover features a black-clad ninja type wearing a full face mask of what is supposed to be a bat, but looks more like a gerbil, standing over a prone body in a very master of kung fu kind of pose. I suppose it does look a bit like a cat. No, do you know what it looks like? It's Stitch! <laughs> Isn't it? Experiment 626. Is it Stitch? That's what she was saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so from now on, he's Stitch. Uh, behind him, the Lady Shiva watches and smiles. It's by the Honourable Kelly Jones and the Most High John Beatty, and I quite like it. Yeah. If, if we get people writing in now complaining, uh, <laughs> complaining. How is that racist? You never know. That's not racist. That's what it says on the cover. No. The Honourable Kelly Jones. One million mums did oh, gay marriage. Yeah, you never know. Sensitive listeners. It's the 21st century. We've not got better things to worry about whether two people get married or not. In a comic. That's In a comic. Fictional, that's fictional. Which you can choose to read or not. Or not read, yes. Have you got off your soapbox about that then? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I liked the cover. Uh, it's got none of the exaggerated anatomy that normally typifies Jones's work. It's quite striking in its use of colour, mainly being illuminated from a lamp held by Shiva. In the corner, the Azrael Bat single... Single? 
Azrael is single. Yes, yes, apparently I like is. to punch guys the Azrael bat signal starts to signal. Can hear it on MTV. The story was entitled Spirit of the Bat. It was written by Doug Minch and pencils by Mike Manley and inks by Dick Giordano. Colours were by Adrian Roy, letter Ken Bruzenek, and edits by Jordan B. Gorfinkel and Denny O'Neill. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan B. Garfinkel, we've not said that for a while. Batman is credited as being created by Bob Kane, it's a double sized issue. Bruce Wayne has returned to Gotham, but he has not brought the Batman with him. His reflexes dulled by weeks in a wheelchair, his muscles softened after recuperation from his injuries, he sought out the Lady Shiva to help reclaim the mantle of the bat, and more importantly, his edge. After weeks of training, Bruce could feel his edge returning. Shiva says he is merely back where he was, but is now ready to continue. Bruce says he will never kill, and Shiva believes that he was unworthy because of this. He will have to kill to truly become what he was, but if he won't, there may be another way. Shiva confronts the sensei who trained the Seven, and donning the mask of Tengu, the spirit of the bat, she claims his life before Song Li, the sensei's latest protege. She summons the Seven and tells them of his death, and that they vow to hunt down the masked warrior. That evening, Bruce returns to Shiva for his training, and she gives him the mask of Tengu to wear. Tomorrow night at a specific location. The next day, Bruce arrives at the address and dons the mask. It does not cover the stench of death, and he is attacked by someone claiming to be avenging his dead sensei. Bruce takes him down, but not easily and not quickly. He takes him to Shiva and deduces that she has killed a man to initiate this test. Shiva acknowledges and says the only way Bruce can become the bat again is to become his opponent and kill without a thought. Bruce says he can't do that and takes his leave. Shiva kills the man who failed. Meanwhile, Robin is tailing Jean-Paul, still dressed as Cylon Batman. Robin witnesses him cracking up and talking himself before busting up a gun-running ring. He takes no prisoners, burning the place to the ground, and coincidentally finding a medallion from the Order of Saint Dumas. The second combatant attacks Bruce, and Bruce manages to again win the day, but again, not easily. He's still not ready. Seeing the dead body of his former assassin in Shiva's meeting place, he lets the second assailant go to tell his friends. He's waiting. Later, Bruce perches on the ledge at the highest point overlooking Gotham. He sees Cylon Batman swing across the city and he takes his grapple in his hand. Just jump. Feel the wind in your face. Cast the grapple and swing across the concrete canyons. Not yet. He's not ready. Bruce turns and leaves. And that was the first part of Night's End. Night send. Or night send, depending on your point of view. Um, from a certain from a certain view. point of view. I really like the structures for this issue. It begins in the middle of the story, flashes back to the beginning, and then continues from there. It's an interesting way of setting this up and throws us right into the action. It has to be said, there is no concessions for non-regular or new readers at this point, is there? Mm. As you're thrown right into the story. I do wonder if this was because the story had to be wrapped up quickly so as to allow the Bat Books to take part in the zero-hour crossover that was looming around the corner. This is borne out, I think, by the fact that even Legends of the Dark Knight, traditionally out of continuity with the other Bat Books, was press-ganged into service for this story. The art by Mike Manley is good and clean and depicts the actions admirably. The first few pages where the Sensei fights Shiva and he has no arms, leading to the god-awful unarmed combat gag, is exceptionally well depicted. Quite brutal in places, particularly the scene where Shiva snaps his foot, which just made me cringe. I don't know why. That panel... Yeah. Panel... Sounds like he's grinning, though. No, he's kind of... Ah! Little pen is so close to pleasure. He's grinning. You think? You think he enjoyed it, really? Big, big bushy eyebrows and big ears. 
Yeah, enjoyed that. Uh, he likes being dominated like that by a woman. Well, maybe he does, yeah. Especially seeing as she really does kill him. Well. In art. Uh, and apparently neither one of these people have morals. See, uh, Mostly Harmless doesn't mind hitting girls, and Shiva doesn't mind hitting Mostly Harmless guys with two limbs. <laughs> yes. She, well, we know Shiva doesn't have any morals. No. From later on in the story. And Lady Shiva was in one of the Robin miniseries. Um, ooh, I don't remember which. I think she was in the first one. She looks like Viper. She does a bit. Madam like Hydra. Yeah. She does have a look of her. Uh, that all being said, Song Lee is um, the sensei's apprentice. Is she, do you think she's an apprentice or is she just like um, a valet or a butler or something? Woman servant. You think so? She think it is a version of Alfred? Yeah. yeah okay. She lets him down in certain departments, so that's why he likes being beaten by Shiva so much. Uh, she witnesses his death, uh, and, but she doesn't seem to notice that it's a woman who killed him. Do you notice that? Well, you did say she had very big thighs. She doesn't in the interior art. She doesn't have boobs, though. Yeah, well, Shiva's depicted as being quite slight in figure in the inside. Well, I suppose it depends who's drawing her, I suppose, as with all women in comics. Um, she doesn't tell the Seven anywhere that they're hunting a woman. She tells the Seven that they're just hunting, hunting somebody wearing the mask of Tengu. Could be anyone. That's what I mean, anyone could wear a mask. Have, you could have a kid running around. Yes. It does seem a bit silly. There are no page numbers in this, again, unfortunately. It looks like there's a Mortal Kombat coming on for Bruce. Which is funny, because Noob looks exactly like the Phantasm, and there's adverts in this for... Mortal Kombat, which mustn't have come out yet. Is there? Is there Mortal Kombat adverts in this? Yeah. Alright, oh, okay. Uh, Jean Paul's still cracking up, speaking to voices in his head and judging by Robin's reaction when he witnesses it, actually having a physical confrontation with Thin Air. Jean Paul just happening on the sigil of Damas is hugely coincidental, isn't it? Yeah. It's just very, very fortunate that that happened. Uh, for those that don't remember from the previous instalments, Carton Leha killed Jean-Paul's father and was in turn killed in Sword of Azrael, the miniseries that we didn't cover as part of Nightfall, but probably should have done. Probably. Probably. Jean-Paul, being a bit batty, doesn't recall this, and this is why he's pursuing the arms dealers who he believes to be a part of Leha's organisation. He's a Batman crazy. Very good. I like that. That was very clever. Tengu beats Long Chains and finishes him with a left, left, down, right. And a cross town, <laughs> deep ball fights John Constantine. Um, where's the John Constantine? Here. Oh, yes, again. He does look a bit like John Constantine. John, Cl- John Constantine wouldn't be caught dead wearing those sunglasses, though, would he? Well. John Constantine's got a bit more style in that. Some artists. Um, there's a panel, there's a page in the middle of this where Bruce Wayne kicks down a tree branch with nuts on it and tries to catch them all between his fingers and his fists. If a ninja kicks down a tree in the forest. <laughs> um, that I thought was very karate kid, that, didn't you? Oh. Very karate kid. on, on. Yeah, nuts on, nuts off. Uh, I liked this issue for the most part. I felt that the double-sized format, even losing the letters page for more story, worked in, in this issue's favour. It's quite a slow burn opening to the third act, but more believable for all that. I think we would have had a hard time accepting a Bruce Wayne who just came back from the horrific injuries he sustained in Nightfall and kicked Jean-Paul's ass. Oh, I brought my back, but I'm all right now, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Which is pretty much what happens in the audio adaptation. Yeah. It's not quite as convincing in the audio adaptation. Um, the ads are really good in this issue. The end is near, boasts an ad for Night's End, with the Jean-Paul back signal cracking. That's all the better for being in start black and white. There's a, a mega special comic sale. The big surprise with this is that the early chapters of Nightfall 
are still commanding $20 a piece, which strikes me as a bit strange. Wasn't this reprinted out the wazoo, like oh, the Death yeah. of Superman was? Maybe original issues. Uh, possibly, I don't remember, to be honest with you. Marvel's is still commanding high prices, as is early McFarlane issues of Spider-Man. The adjectiveless one, not amazing. Cover enhancements still rule the day with a gold cover for Amarines. Okay. Whatever the hell that is. Um, and a hologram cover for Excalibur 71. Where you put it down on the table and it goes, <laughs> and it's like a 3D. Yes, like a 3D thing. Yeah. Yeah, well, nothing says um, special issue like the number 71, does it? Um, <laughs> the other X books, and there's a gold cover for Shadow Man Zero. Okay. I don't know what any of that is. Is it all black? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> all black cover. Night's End gets a couple more ads throughout the book, although they aren't as striking as the Nightfall ones. Batman Adventures gets a fantastic advert by, uh, with a simply wonderful piece of Mike Parabek artwork from the animated Batman standing on a gargoyle with the bat signal in the background. It's iconic, but exceptionally well done. Uh, DC Milestone are crossing over, according to this, and the advert's black and white for some reason. And Star Trek The Next Generation gets an adaptation of the last episode, which was all good things. The inside covers, uh, the adverts on the inside of the covers are always in black and white. No, they're not. Oh, yeah, they are. Okay, that one's not, but they mostly are. They mostly are. They're not! Most of the time. No, they're not. Most of the time. Alright, okay. I am picking a comic at random from my pile of recent eBay winnings. It's Spider-Man 101 Ways to End the Clone Saga. Oh, well, look. You can't choose that one. Well, that's that's right. very much later. Choose a, choose one. I will pick another random issue. Choose a night end one. Spider-Man Dead Man's Hand and the back inside cover is a colour advert. That's because it's the paper. Feel the paper of that. Yeah. It's all glossy. Now... Feel the paper. You just don't, you can never accept being wrong, can you? Because I'm not. Most comics. Because you're not. Comics do not always have black and white interior covers. You do a lot of the time, stuff. I think you're talking out your buttocks. I think think you're talking out your buttocks. Alright, for next week, you are to find me a comic of this vintage, July 94, that has a black and white interior that isn't Shadow of the Bat. Michael just picked up Detective Comics 676. Yeah, that's the same DC Milestorm advert. I'm wondering why that, especially, why is that one in black and white when it's in colour in those issues? Because most of the... No, they're not. Yes. No. Then why is it like that, then? It's a mistake of some description. Oh, a mistake, is it? Yes. Because you can't admit you're wrong. But I'm not wrong. It's an anomaly that the adverts are black and white on the inside covers. I'm not wrong, either. Yes, you are. Because you just said they are always black and white. Most of them are. No, they're not. Let's go go dig up a random 90s comic. Well, we can't, because we're recording. I've just picked up a random 90s comic. 101 issues for the Clone Saga. Here's another one. Okay, here you go. Spider-Man, Funeral for an Octopus, issue number three. Inside back cover, Kel Surprise, an advert for True Lies in colour. That's Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) So so three times I have now disproved your statement, but you cannot accept that you're wrong. I can prove you wrong several more times. Go on, then. Go on, there is a stack of eBay comics here. Standard, normal, newsprint comics. So we're not including Spider-Man The Final Adventure. Standard newsprint comics. We're not including Spider-Man Unmasked, because that's a bookshelf edition. Pick one. Anyone. 
any of those comics and see if there is, in fact, a inside front or back cover that's in black and white. No. Spider-Man Osborne Journal. No. Well, that's not going to be one. That's not going to be one. It's the Jackal Files. It's a special. So, no. Spider-Man Funeral for an Octopus. Issue one. No. Issue two. No. Issue three. No. Dead Man's Hand. No. <laughs> He's actually gone upstairs to get a vintage 1995 comic to see whether... They don't! They do not have... They have colour! Colour adverts on the inside, front and back covers. Except that you are incorrect in your statement. Right, he's back. But you've not got an issue with you. Why have you not got an issue with you? Wanker. published in Shadow of the Bat 29 on the 24th of May 1994. The cover was by Brian Stelfreeze of a metaphorical knight from the Order of St. Dumas sticking a sword in the back of the Jean-Paul Batman. As with all of Stelfreeze's cover, it's outstanding. In the corner, the Azrael Bat signal splinters away and a few more shards fall. This issue was written by Alan Grant with pencils by Brett Blevins with inks by Bob Smith and Brett Blevins. Todd Klein did the letters, Adrian Roy again coloured. No editors are credited, but I presume it would be the same as last year. Again, it's a double-sized issue. The first one in there is black and white. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. This is an anomaly. I mean, it could be that that's black and white because the advert for the DC Knight's Quest with the Azriel bat signal shattering is a black and white ad and therefore both of them are black and white. Well, that's, it's an anomaly. It's not normal, is what I'm saying. It's normal from ones I've read. I don't think it is. I've read a lot. You're of not them. letting this go, are because you? Because I know out of a lot of comics I've read, a lot of the times they are black and white. Great, 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 great. Can I do the synopsis for this issue? I don't know. Can you? I, I can. You're going to stumble on your words this I'm week. I'm probably going to stumble <laughs> off my words this week. But you're really, really pissy now, aren't you? <laughs> Bruce continues his training regime whilst Jean-Paul receives more messages from Dumas that the seeds of his own destruction are within him and Robin investigates the sigil of St. Dumas but comes up empty. He visits Bruce Wayne as does Nightwing and Bruce clues them in on the order of St. Dumas and the relationship to the Knight Templar and the origins of Azrael who is picked at birth and indoctrinated there you go, stumbled over my words for <laughs> with subliminal commands as a punisher of the evil. Nightwing expresses mock hurt at the fact that Bruce picked him to be Batman, and Bruce asks for their help. 
Robin and Nightwing agree. Bruce says that Carlton Leha may still be alive, and if Azrael is to be stopped from killing him, they need to know Jean-Paul's every move. Cylon Batman, still on the train of Leha and his gun runners, makes short work of a gang that know nothing about Leha. Jean-Paul still beats them half to death. Whilst Robin Nightwing tails Jean-Paul, Bruce finds himself under attack from Manimal, the next of Shiva's vengeance seekers. Oddly, Manimal looks nothing like Simon McCockinder. Okay. After a brutal institute, you don't remember Manimal, do you? Manimal was a dumbass 80s TV show where this guy could turn into animals. But when he changed back to a human being, he was always perfectly dressed. Okay. I've discussed this with your mum before. I have no problem accepting the guy can turn into animals. But when he changed back into a human at the end, it's like, where's his clothes come from? I could never buy that. That was one suspension of disbelief. Maybe too far he had the animals dressed up in the clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Whilst Robin and Nightwing tails Jean-Paul, Bruce finds himself under attack from Manimal, the next of Shiva's vengeance seekers. After a brutal and savage battle, Bruce comes out on top, and he returns to the highest point of Gotham again to test his nerve. He's still not ready. The title comes from the assassin who has the strength of the tiger, the speed of the serpent, the eye of the eagle, the cunning of the fox, the savageness of the tiger, and the endurance of the ant, and is nothing to do with the short-lived TV show starring the late Simon McCockinder. Shazam! Yes. Why Shazam? Because he turns into an animal. Because the power of Zeus and the wisdom of Solomon. The power of Christ compels me! Yeah! <laughs> uh, Bruce is going all Rocky Balboa in his training, cutting logs There's and running no in the forest. Yeah. There's no shortcut home. Oh, you stopping? I don't know. I thought we would do etting. Well, you know, when I was at Singleton's the other day, I was playing on Saints Row and it's got a radio kind of like Grand Theft Auto and that song came up on did it? it they did not know what it was but I I was singing along I'm very proud of the fact that you knew what that was I'm not they've never watched Rocky 4 I am very disappointed with the youth of today <laughs> they don't know what Planet of the Apes is they don't watch the Rocky films uh, meanwhile Jean-Paul sleeps in his costume on a rock and he still talks to himself why is he asleep he's Da, 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 on a pillow made of concrete again. Oh yeah, bit of, bit of Pearl Jam though. And that was actually a pretty good Eddie Vedder impression. Well done. I'm <laughs> <laughs> very impressed with that. <laughs> oh, it's like he was here. It's just I was like just that. sat next to Eddie Vedder <laughs> if he was if he was a lot smaller than you. Yeah. Like a little mini Eddie Vedder. Yeah, he's because he's pocket size, isn't he, Eddie Vedder? Is it? Little tiny bloke. Small it's like Bono. Little tiny little fella. The eagle killing the bat, which in this was also a metaphor used in Kingdom Come. Get, yeah, it guess, was, wasn't guess it? what they stood for. What did they stand for? Batman and Wonder Woman? Yes it was. Was it Wonder Most Woman? People thought it was Superman. See, I've not read King Cole for ages. I keep meaning to reread that, because it does look quite pretty in your big absolute. Then mm, it sound. Yes, my word. Uh, I love the scene between Bruce Nightwing and Robin, where they have a bit of a joke about the fact that Bruce screwed up in selecting Jean-Paul to follow in his footsteps, then put it aside quickly to combat a common foe. This is my Dick Grayson. Somebody who will let Bruce know he's a bit annoyed by what went on, but still do it with a smile on his face. And when Bruce needs him, as he does here, he's there for him with no regrets. This is what family is. I don't know who the whiny, sulky Dick Grayson was who cropped up at the end of Nightfall, but he wasn't mine. 
because I've said before I'm a big fan of Dick Grayson and his team ups with the other members of the DCU especially um, I, he has a completely different relationship with everybody than his mentor and I always enjoy seeing him team up with Superman and Robin especially especially the Tim Drake Robin there's a great fight scene in the middle of this issue where Robin and Nightwing work as a team without actually saying a word there's no wisecracks there's no swapping of move 76 Robin there's none of that they just work really well together um it's a really wonderful brotherly relationship that Dick doesn't share with Jason Todd or with Damian well, Wayne. because he's dead. Well, yes. But when he was alive. Right. And he's not like this with Damian Wayne, is he? Because he had to be well, his mentor when Bruce Wayne was dead, didn't he? Yeah. Or is that not in continuity anymore? No, it kind of is. But, um, well, Nightwing's been in this issue more than he has been in all of Night's End and Night's Quest put together and he, he doesn't seem like DC editorial in a Nightwing's costume in this. No, he's great in this, isn't he? He's really good in Night's End, Night, um, Nightwing. Mm. I re- and I really enjoyed having him in it. And I do honestly think that the only reason he's not in the early ones is they couldn't have told this story if Nightwing had been around. Could they? No. Because he would have gone, Hey, you! You're not Batman! I know Batman! And you're no Batman. And he just brought it all to an end very, very quickly. Yeah. Because John Paul would be no match for Dick Grayson, I don't think. Take him out of his arm, he's just a whining little boy. <laughs> to get out of your arm, what are you? I'm naked! <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Bruce avoiding the trap laid by the next assassin is really well done. Whilst the action's very well choreographed, the narration gives us an uncertain and unsure Bruce Wayne, pondering, is he past it? Can he regain what he's lost? Should he even try? There's a wonderful parallel between real-life fighters who are remembered not for the victories and going out on top, but those that went on too long and let time do the work for them. Danny O'Neill has said in an interview that if Batman was to be truly described as realistic, then he would only be active for at most ten years. If he started at about 23, there's a very real possibility he'd be over the hill at 34, even if he survived that long. Mm. So... There's a certain fine line of credibility between... There's a reason, I think, that you need to keep Bruce Wayne at around 30 to 32 years of age. Because anything beyond that, you start creaking. So what are they going to do? Just make a deal with the devil and... Uh... Yes, that's that's exactly what they do. They will make a deal with the devil. No, what, what they do is they make flash rewrite history. Yeah, they could do that, I suppose. They have to. Oh, right, okay. That was just me, no. Uh, page 28, Jean Paul lets his sexuality slip a bit as he tells Bucky <laughs> bad guys to take him. Oh. Take me! Please take me! Roughly, from behind. Saint Dumas is stabbing him from behind. Oh, back. shut up! <laughs> well, uh, in this issue, Tengu lays the surroundings take down on blue wood whilst he uh, whilst the bat eats a butterfly just at the right moment, so it looks as though the bat is eating the butterfly, so it looks inspirational or something. What?! Look, right. I'm looking. See, we had the eagle eating the bat at the beginning. We did. So he's, so he's fighting this bad guy here. Yes. He's fighting. And he continues and to fight. Huh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> punch, punch. And then we have a bite and a butterfly. Oh, and it right. happens just at the right moment, the, so it looks inspirational and Bruce stuff. takes out the guy. Mm. So you're saying that at this point he's got back. Yeah. His mantle. Okay, fair enough. Um, it was another good chapter of the story. I'm still not a big fan of Blevins' artwork. Are you? It it looked Giles Clancy. 
Klaus Janssen. <laughs> Joust Clanson. <laughs> I said Klaus Janssen. You didn't, you said Joust Clanson, and it's recorded. Okay. Joust okay. Clanson's funnier, to be honest with you. Joust Clanson. Joust It looks very Klaus Janssen there. Um, I do. Hmm. A bit. Yeah, I find his artwork really scratchy. I mean, the pacing's good. And the story moves along quite well. Bringing Robin and Nightwing in in a proactive role is a much-needed and long-awaited step in the right direction. There's a slight discontinuity error with Year One in that Bruce is shown on his first night as Batman after the bat crashed through the window taking his first leap. But the costume is more akin to Detective Comics 27 than the one he wore in Year One. But Danny and Neil said that Batman has loads of costumes, so... I'll give them a pass on that. Uh, sometimes during the mission he wears shorts, other times he does pants. That's very true. Um, the ads are pretty much the same as the previous issue, except the back page has an advert for Babylon 5, uh. which I like. It must be an early Babylon 5, because Commander Sinclair's there, not Captain Sheridan. Time Tracks, which I remember quite enjoying as a kid. Really? I say a kid. Yeah. How old was I when this came out? 20. It, it looked awful. No, it was, it was alright. Was it really? Yeah. Alright. And Kung Fu the Legend continues. That's pretty much the only different advert. Was, in was this there a issue. series before that called uh, called Kung Fu the Legend Starts? There was a series called Kung Fu in the early 70s, yes. Oh, right. And was the one called Grasshopper. Kung Fu the Legend Ends? Yes. That was after David Carradine died of Kung a bizarre Fu. sex act. Turns out we just. Uh, we just he did die of a bizarre sex act. Yeah. yeah. Kung Fu, we just found out what legend means and realised we can't go on calling it legend anymore. <laughs> Oh, we're taking a break and we'll be right back. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too we're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. For soon, the mole man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And now. Mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're but palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. The Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You earthlings can't change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you. For I am the Thinker. I vow never to return, my lord. Until the Fantastic Four are no more, and the Phantom Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ramatats, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak. Blind or Hulk. Stop! You must not end on the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain him to the drain of all elemental life. So, speak Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantastic Forecast. ffcast.libsyn.com And we're back. Well done. 
Are you enjoying this so far? Um, it's alright. <laughs> to coin, as a wise man once said, it's alright. Night's End continued in Detective Comics 676, which appeared on your newsstands and comic bookstores on May 31st, 1994. The cover is by Kelly Jones and John Beatty, and has a dark figure beating up on an orange figure in front of a purple background. <laughs> It does. <laughs> the only indication we have that this Mr. is a Batman Blue book, Mr. Orange. Mr. Blue and Mr. Orange are having a fight. The only indication we have this is a Batman book is the shadow of the bat is cast upon the wall behind the black-clad figure, who we therefore deduces to be Bruce, and not the Detective Comics featuring Batman at all. Well, that as well. <laughs> the as bat signal continues to shatter in the corner with a few more shards falling to the floor. It is, to kind of phrase, alright. What do you think of it? Well, it's Mr. Orange fights Mr. Mr. Black. Actually, it's less of a, da- a fight and more of a dance. Well, a ballet and kung fu have a lot in common. Do they? Yeah. It's all about the graceful moves, man. Why are you turning to William Shatner? It's all about M&M? the graceful moves. As I move very slowly and then push your nose into your brain with the palm of my hand. What if William Shatner was in sync? I would watch an NSYNC concert <laughs> if that happened. <laughs> Too Many Ninjas was written by Chuck Dixon, with art by Graham Nolan and Scott Hanna. All the other stuff was by Adrian Roy, John Costanza, Dan and Vincenzo, and Scott Peterson, who did all the, the heavy lifting. Ask edits. Assistant editor. All oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Why do they go on to edit your ass? <laughs> Um, they bleach him now, you know. I don't want to know. This storyline in this issue, Robin and Nightwing have given up trying to spy on Jean-Paul, apparently, and have decided to go to the source. Why would he decide to give up? It sounds like great entertainment. What, just following ah, Jean-Paul? Go away, <laughs> <laughs> He's like, in Family Guy, whatever they do, William Shatterhead, he pulls lots of different positions. That's Jean-Paul. <laughs> no, said to mass, I am in pursuit of Gordon Lehigh, who is the person who killed my father. And I Get that sword out of my back. Anyway, yes, John Paul, they stop following him. Robin and Nightwing are in the back here. Uh, whilst they're poking around, they bump into Harold, who shows them the bat train. No, 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 no. It's the bat train to Gotham, and we'll meet you in the bat cave. Only you can't, because. No one knows where the back cave is. And with his help, they plant the surveillance devices. Meanwhile, Cylon Batman talks to himself and beats people up in his obsessive quest to find Liha. Not a lot of progression in that part of the story. After the beatdown, Jean-Paul takes one of the gun runners and asks him about Liha. Thug One tells him what he wants to know. Armed with this knowledge, Jean-Paul tracks one lead to another and locates the gun dealer. Dead. Jean-Paul believes it to be the work of Liha. Bruce Wayne is preoccupied by a number of disciples intent on defeating him themselves or leading him to their master. Bruce evades death by disciple but is left to confront the next in the line of vengeance seekers. He takes down one, not easily, to be confronted by another instantly. Armed with nunchucks, Bruce is taken unawares and is almost defeated until the nunchucks are caught in a nearby truck, dragging his assailant away. Knowing that the last one was pure luck prevents Bruce from enjoying his victories as Lady Shiva watches. Finally, Nightwing and Robin watch the surveillance footage as Jean-Paul continues to converse with Thin Er. Harry, uh, how are you doing? You lost weight? You looking thin? Should we, should we do that as it is in the book? 
Oh. It is you who has spurned the order, heretic. You have taken up the mantle of the bat and failed at that as well. You idiot. <laughs> you are neither saviour nor avenger. You are nothing to me. Dumas! Sainted Dumas, I will prove you wrong! I will redeem myself! <laughs> you know what we should do on episode? On. We should just enact a comic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That'd be quite funny. Because this ends with Nightwing and Robin going, Who the hell is he talking to? I can't see or hear anyone. It looks like he's alone. I'll tell you one thing. Bruce has his work cut out for him. So, essentially, what, you, what we understand from that, though, is that... The Saint of St. Dumas is not the, and John Paul's a nut job. Did we not know that anyway? We kind of knew that, yeah. I, I've got to say, I love the splash page to this. I really <laughs> do. <laughs> um, the colouring's a little too bright for this deep in a cave, if we're being really nitpicky. But the art's great, and the bats in the foreground are is suitably spooky. The bat computer's not lighting it all up. It could mm, They'd have to be pretty powerful computers. I mean, have you seen the size of it? It's yeah, he massive. does have a big cray, doesn't he? I like that both Robin and Nightwing are really quite small figure-wise, and which gives the cave a feeling of something expansive. But there's big bats in the in the yeah, that's really cool. Small, far away. Either that or they're pretty damn big bats. I like that Robin's disappearing off the page as well. He's got uh, Bruce's got um, man bats. He has, but they're not Kirk Langstrom, presumably. Uh, there's lovely little continuity notes on page two with all the trophies. Robin makes reference to Jean-Paul's way of getting around Gotham that he doesn't know about. Bad train to Gotham and we'll meet you in the Batcave. Magic bat train. Talk. Magic bat train. And Nightwing is only slightly appalled by the bat-shaped shurikens embedded in the target range. The conversation that follows is more of what I've wanted from this this storyline for a while. Nightwing's disgust that Bruce would choose to leave the reputation of the Batman and Gotham City in the hands of a nutter and not just ask him. We talked a couple of times in other segments of the show that the treatment of Nightwing in this series has been appalling simply by his omission. Now we both know the real reason, the whole point of the story, to give the audience that have been craving a bloodthirsty psycho Batman. But the creators never satisfactorily addressed the Nightwing situation. In the novel, Denny and Neil avoids it by just not having Nightwing in it at all. Well, I'm pretty sure Nightwing refused to be Batman's replacement in Night's End, in Night's End anyway. What's he complained about here for? He didn't... He wasn't asked... In I, I thought Robin told him about the situation. He just goes, I'm sure Bruce will sort it all out. Well, I don't know. Apparently he was going through some stuff in the Teen Titans. I mean, I do like his line about this Jean Paul Valley crossed the double yellow line, a few exits best. Can you or Bruce see that? Well, what, what, what was important? Did, 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 did. Did Starfire leave him? Was I don't he very know. upset by Starfire leaving him that he couldn't do something important to become Batman? No, I, I think it was more a case of they didn't want Nightwing in the story, because as we've discussed before, having Nightwing in the story would have brought it to a creaking halt much sooner. So did DC hire an actor? Yes, <laughs> Dick Grayson. Was, that Dick Grayson in that scene in Batman 500 was an actor. Yes. It wasn't Dick Grayson. <laughs> it was the, the, the personification of DC's editorial staff, written as Nightwing. <laughs> I do like that Nightwing's really gung-ho to take Jean-Paul on. Mm. I, I, really, I really do like that. Page 8. 
I yeah. have to say I'm quite fond of those shoes. Well, the guy's red, yellow and blue yeah. trainers that this being the 90s aren't laced up. I want some. Do you? Yeah. Okay, fine. I'll, I'll lace mine up though because I don't want to look like a tool. It was the 90s, you wouldn't have laced them up then. Was I not allowed to? No, no, it was against the fashion police's orders. Was it? Yeah. Uh, Harold is the genius behind a lot of Bruce Wayne's tech, who was mute and slightly deformed, and who nevertheless was quite a sweet guy who helped the Batman with his equipment in return for Batman letting him live in the cave. He first appeared in a Batman book in Batman issue 448 and was killed by Hush in issue 618, something I've never really forgiven Jeff Loeb for. Have you not? No. I quite liked him. I quite liked uh, Harold. Fair enough. Well, Ace the Bat-Hound gets a mention here. Yes, he Even does. though I think Ace was in the old comics when Dick was Robin. But if he is a new addition as Tim Sazius, then why hasn't he been up in any of the Knights trilogy? He has been in some of them. Ace the Bat-Hound in this continuity was just a regular dog. And okay. Harold looked after him. So he kind of potted around in the cave with Harold. And I think we have seen him in either Nightfall or Night's Quest. But we haven't seen a lot of Harold, have we? So where was Harold in Ace when Bane was beating up Batman then? Staying out the way, (laughs) one would imagine. (laughs) I can't imagine that Harold would have given Bane a good fight, can you? Well. Um, There's some subtle art things to look for. The cave, numerous trophies are labelled, including the case of the prophetic pictures, the hood of the monk the gavel of Judge Clay and the diary of Dana Dry. In the streets, Darren Francenzo's won the lottery and Alan Grant has found something. It's obscure, so you can't tell what. Hannah buys a house. Sciatic pain and pregnancy are linked, apparently. And Gunhawk is captured, according to newspapers milling about on the floor. There's a box of Kirby's action cereal in one of the dustbins. Uh, The prophetic pictures is a story by Nathaniel Hawthorne, published in Twice Told Tales, Volume 1 in 84 in 1851 but was also a Batman story by Bill Finger Bob Kane and Jerry Robinson from Detective Comics 42 The Monk appeared in Detective Comics 31 The Case of Dana Dry took place in Batman 14 and The Case of Judge Clay appeared in Detective Comics 441 Vincenzo, Grant and Hannah are references to the creative teams and Gunhart was in an earlier issue of Night's Quest wasn't he? Yeah Didn't he go up against John Paul? Yeah Yeah uh, the building that Bruce keeps standing on as part of his meaningful character development has been changed and had different names throughout Batman. This building has always been there and is very, very noticeable. Here it's the Tim Burton-esque Gotham Tower. Yeah. In Arkham City it's Wonder Tower and in the new DC it's Wayne Tower. Is it? Yeah. Oh, right, but it's, the, it's drawn to be the same building. Well, it's drawn to be very similar and is the one that always appears in like background shots. Right. Because this version of Gotham was, after the first Batman movie, they got in touch with Anton first, didn't they? Yeah. To design Gotham for the comics as well as for the film. And essentially in the storyline, what they did was they blew up a lot of Gotham to reveal the old architecture of Gotham, which was all this gothic stuff. So they did it in continuity. They didn't just change the city for no reason. Which I quite like. Page 19... Yeah, I love Norm Brefogel's design of the Batmobile. It looks like eyes. Yeah, it's a pity it's going to get blown up in a couple of issues, isn't it? Mm. Uh, Dixon proves once again with this issue that he's a master at blending characterisation with action. The extended action sequences between Bruce and the newest would-be killers are excellent. Taking place in the middle of a busy traffic intersection, Bruce must avoid traffic and death. In between musing on his opponent's skill, he realised he'd be just as happy to see him go under a bus. 
which I thought was quite funny for Bruce Wayne. Yeah. If he falls under a bus, that takes care of all my problems. Um, I thought, again, this was a fine issue, showing just what an underrated writer Dixon is once again. It's action all the way through, but it isn't just action with no purpose. Much like the first Terminator movie, Dixon gets more characterisation out of the action than a lot of writers get out of talking head scenes. And the final third of this comic, with Bruce pretty much outclassed and on the back foot, is really exciting. A complaint can be made that the story isn't progressing terribly fast. Um, I think this is borne out in the novel, which excises all of this, almost telling a completely different story. Nevertheless, this was a fine and fun issue, I thought. What did you think? It it was good. Good, I'm I'm glad you're here. (laughs) To be fair, when you read these four, you said, I actually enjoyed reading those four. Yeah. The storyline's picking up pace, isn't it? And it is obviously winding up to its end point. Where Night's Quest felt, let's be honest, that it, it dragged a bit in places, didn't it? It dragged like a bendy story. Yeah, but this is very fast-paced. I do wonder if that's because they had only ten issues to wrap all this up before they had to get to zero hour. Yeah. I wonder how much of that was a surprise to them. Everybody's going to do a zero issue, but we've not finished Night's End. We'll get on with it. They, they could have done it where Gene Paul ends up winding in the middle and going, oh, bugger, why is there a fat Alfred? <laughs> I don't think it would have occurred. Would and, it? Then, and then Bruce and, and Tim could have been just like, huh, well that solves our Gene Paul problem for us. <laughs> that would have been quite good. Um, again, the adverts are pretty much the same because they all came out in the same month, but the milestone DC ads in colour now for some reason. Uh, and The Shadow with Alec Baldwin came in, which I watched just the other night. It looks like Liam Neeson. It does look a bit like Liam Neeson, though, but Liam Neeson was Dark Man, not The Shadow. Um, the Shadow's alright. Alec Baldwin's fine. It's directed by Russell Mulcahy, who directed Highlander. It's good when The Shadow's in it. Unfortunately for a film called The Shadow, The Shadow's not in it a lot. Okay. Which is quite unfortunate. And they make a cardinal sin. The final battle, they take his scarf and hat off. So it's just Alec Baldwin running around in a cape with a gun. Okay. Like, I'm not paying to see Alec Baldwin. I want to see the shadow. <laughs> when is the shadow? It's really good. But unfortunately, he's not the shadow enough, in my humble opinion. Night's End Part 4. Devils was by Chuck Dixon again, Ron Wagner and Ron McCain, with other stuff being handled by Digital Chameleon, who did the colours, Willie Schubert did the letters, and Archie Goodwin and Jim Spivey did the editorialings. Editorialisings, is that a word? Editing? Yeah, whatever. It appeared in Legends of the Dark Knight 62, which released on May 31st, 1994. Legends of the Dark Knight traditionally featured out-of-continuity tales of Batman. Normally set in the years before he adopted Robin, and as with all anthology titles, it was a bit of a mixed bag. For every good story that he did, there was an equally terrible story that followed it. Um, this wasn't the first time that Legends of the Dark Knight featured a storyline set in current continuity. There was a chapter of Night's End, The Search, that we covered that was in this title. Uh, but this was the first time a crossover chapter of the ongoing story art was featured. This is quite clearly labelled Night's End Part 4. If I remember correctly, there were a number of people who were a bit miffed about this. Because mm. there were an awful lot of people, apparently, who subscribed to Legends of the Dark Knight only because it didn't cross over with any of the Batman books. 
Fair enough. So they were a bit miffed that they suddenly got part four of a continuing storyline. And there were readers who only read Batman and Detective because they were current continuity stories and didn't read Legends of the Dark Knight. Okay. So there was quite a lot of people who were miffed by this. And I can see the point. This really doesn't fit the remit of Legends of the Dark Knight, which was to tell self-contained stories all around Batman's career. Yeah. Uh, Again, I wonder if this happened simply because they were under a a deadline crunch to get this all done before Zero Hour started. That's only a guess on my part. I have no idea. Um, The story for this one... Jean-Paul's investigations lead him to the Gotham Naval Yard where he confronts more of the gunrunners whilst Bruce continues his battle against the Vengeance Seekers. Jean-Paul engages in a brutal fight with an armoured figure but ultimately kills his adversary when he can't give him the information he requires. Or so it seems. Robin and Nightwing decide to check in with Bruce arriving just in time to witness him deliver a killing blow to his most recent adversary. The cover is by Mike Mignola. Um, I did not know that was by Mike Mignola, you know. Because Batman does not look fat. And and Azrael Batman's just kind of stood in the background. Like, come at me, bro. And Stitch is stood in front of him. Going, oh, I look terribly uncomfortable. It's the kind of cover that on a modern comic I would rip the piss out of, isn't it? Yeah. It's two people just stood there. I, I do like Gene Paul's pose. Come at me, bro. Come Take me. Come and have a go if you think you're on. No. <laughs> yeah. It's not a great... It's... It's all right. Isn't it? It's not... It's a bit naff. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a bit naff, to be brutally Someone honest. Someone has to say it. Yeah. Um, and it seems really repetitive, giving you the story arc in quick succession like that and giving you that same synopsis. Because we've had three issues so far that essentially all follow the same template. It doesn't really feel like that when you're reading it, to be honest with you. Bruce fights a foe, again more dangerous than the last, who all believe he's committed a murder he didn't. Jean-Paul continues to crack up and search for his dead father's killers, who is believed to be dead. And Nightwing and Robin kind of potter around in the background. But I suppose when these were released, it was a different marketplace to today. And they do have to give some concessions to the people who will only be reading Legends of the Dark. Now, I'll be honest, if you're only reading Legends, you're pretty lost at this point, aren't you? Yeah. You've got no idea what's going on in this issue if you only read Legends of the Dark. Now, um, yes, they were written to be part of an extended narrative, but they were also read to be standalone issues. A lot of Legends of the Dark Knight was designed to be released as trade paperbacks. So Legends of the Dark Knight was quite forward-thinking in that respect. Um, yes, this follows Night's End, but it also has to work as a standalone issue, and I think it fails at that. Yeah. As a part of this story, it's quite a good issue. There's a major cliffhanger ending here that alters the dynamic of the storyline, but also the opening of the book is a lift of the previous issue. Uh, of course, there was also readers who were turned off by this, as we've mentioned, because of Leg Night- Legends of the Dark Knight's apparent lack of interest in the regular story. So... I'd be interested in how well Legends of the Dark Knight is thought of these days. It doesn't seem to get mentioned at all now. This was a big deal when it came out. Because it was the first Batman book to come out in 40 years that was a solo Batman book. It was designed to be out of continuity so people who'd just seen the film had a Batman book that they could pick up. And a lot of the stories are good. There's a couple of really good... It should be one of the new 52 titles. What, just a a standard... Because if you think about it, all the current Bat books are all set... Now. Yes. Instead of 
at different time periods like Action and Superman. So you think you should bring Legends of the Dark Knight back in the new 52? Yeah, you can tell his origin, you can have ones from all over the place. That's, that's not a bad idea, that. And especially for people who like the Christopher Nolan movies. Yeah. Who are going to go and go, I'm a bit confused by this. We should have gone to Ka- uh, Kapow and told Dan Didio. I, I, I we should have gone and told Dan Didio. Dan Didio. Dan Didio. I'm not going to call him Dan Didio. That's a bit disrespectful. I'm sure he's a lovely man. <laughs> so is Kisada, probably. Yes, I'm sure they are. Grumble, grow. Actually, no, I like one more day and one more in time. Oh, dear me. On this next round of Mortal Knights <laughs> combat, Batman yes. fights his greatest challenge yet, Blood Leftfield. <laughs> While across town, Stitch fights a man as big as Bane and has the vocal problems of the new Bane, but lays down a left, left, B down to the head. <laughs> it's just one big video game. <laughs> uh, on a page by page analysis of this, I don't really have a lot to say on this one. Most guys, you're to me. I am with this one, yeah. Most of the story in this one is just John Paul and Bruce engaged in fisticuffs with an adversary that will mostly just sound like repetition. B. B. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. I mean, Dixon... is in a corner. <laughs> Dixon does a good job of cross-cutting between John Paul's Batman antics with Bruce's and gives some insight into the different approaches of the men, especially at the end where Bruce is methodical in his decision to kill, in inverted commas, whereas John Paul does it just because he can. Dixon once again plays the Nightwing-Robin relationship with brotherly strokes, and there is some contradiction. Stop it! Robin and Nightwing were both tasked with following Jean-Paul, which they don't seem to be doing a lot of, do they? No. That was Bruce's specific order to them. Go and follow Jean-Paul. And they don't. They just kind of... Uh, should we go to the back here? Yeah, go on, let's go to the back here. Should we talk about how Bruce was a bit of an idiot not giving me the gig? Yeah, let's do that. So, um, Dick, th- there's this girl I quite like at school. <laughs> Ariana. How do I get her to notice me? <laughs> should we not be following Jean-Paul? Nah, who cares about any of that filth? Um, the Bruce fight scene isn't as effective as the one in the previous issue. Let's watch kid video. Let's watch kid video. That'd, that'd get the girls in, wouldn't it? Um, the fight scene isn't as effective as the one in the previous issue simply because this is just a toe-to-toe knockdown drag-out fight with no subtlety or brains, whereas the last one in the last issue of Detective Comics was really exciting. Uh, the final twist is well handled, if a little contrived, but it's a major point in the story at this point, and it's much appreciated. The opening pages, which repeat the ending of the previous issue, do give voice to the argument this could be edited in trades to make it a tale that flows better for a mass audience, but I doubt DC will do that. Um, I do like that the seeding prodigal in this were the hinting that Bruce doesn't want to return full-time to being Batman. Yeah. Which I thought was quite an interesting way to go. I would have liked to have seen Dick Grayson be Batman for much longer than just Prodigal in this continuity. I think that would have been quite interesting. Okay. But they didn't do that. Ad-wise, the DC milestone crossover's gone monochrome again. Batman Punisher Lake of Fire gets an ad, which we covered at the top of the show, but didn't like very much. Um, Most interestingly, DC did an ongoing Judge Dredd series. That I wasn't even aware that they that, did with art by Michael Avon Oeming. That advert said coming in June. Yes. But the first issue we covered of this show. Yeah. It had already happened. Yeah, we're not. We're not covering them, Chrono. We're covering them in story order. Yeah. Lake of Fire must have come out a little bit late. But it happened before. Yes, it happened before Night's End Part 1. Right. Well, it has to do. Because Night's End, all nine or ten chapters well, and aftermath flow into one another and... Because he also mentions Jigsaw. Yeah, and he mentions Jigsaw. And later on, 
certainly in the last five chapters of Night's End, it all takes place in the same night. Yeah. So there is nowhere for that well, to take place. Getting good. Yeah. There's nowhhere for this to take place other than before all of this happens. Mm. So, irrespective of where it came out, chronologically, that's where it must take. Um, I do wonder about the Judge Dredd thing, the DC one, because I've never read it. Because it's 2018 and a British. Yeah, it's very British in its mentality, but it's also very satirical. So I do wonder how this went down with the hardcore Judge Dredd fan base. I wonder what they thought of it. I wonder if Scott ever read that. Our mate Scott, who's a big Judge Dredd fan. I don't know. I did like his t-shirt yesterday. Yeah, he had a a 2018 t-shirt on yesterday, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he listens to the show, but if he does, hello Scott. Hello Scott. Uh, That's it. That's the first four parts of Night's End. I think we were a bit tangential tonight. When you got carried away with the monochrome adverts. You're just not having that that's not normal, are you? Because <laughs> it's a semi-normality. It's a semi-normality. A semi-normality. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah. A semi I'm underlining normality. it as a semi-normality. A semi-normality, okay. Next time on an all-new episode of Hate Kids Comics, it's Night's Ends Part 5, Part 6, Part 7, seven and, eight. and Part 8. Yes, there are no surprises next week. Just four regular bat books. Nor are there any alarms. If after that, Night's End Part 9, 10, the three Night's End Aftermath issues, which appeared in Catwoman 13, Robin 9, and an issue of Showcase 94. I don't oh, remember what God, issue no. number. And we will that week be covering the final, the final, the next Batman Punisher crossover, which was done after Bruce Wayne returned to the costume but must have took place before Prodigal because was that good Dick Grayson yes that one is written by Chuck Dixon without by John Romita Jr oh okay so it's much better than the first one John we Jr. still did yes John Romita Jr did a DC oh, yeah. uh, we still thank Mike Bailey for sending us the first Batman Punisher crossover Lake of Fire so we did at least get to read it and cover it even if we only did it briefly yeah uh, email the show if you want to tell us anything especially things we got wrong because Michael just loves that I love things that you get wrong. Yes, yes. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen as much as with you, does it? Shut up. (laughs) Say goodnight, Gracie. Goodnight, Gracie. Bye-bye. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Hey Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Make Work for Idle Hands to Do production, and all opinions expressed by Michael and Andrew in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and probably not to be taken too seriously. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money for this, much to their chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday at apleyland.podomatic.com, but you can also listen through our Facebook page, which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the second name. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics we've covered this week. That's www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion on our opinions, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks, all one word, .com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. Music this week was by Chris Holland, and uh, all of his music can be found 
on www.chrisholandmusic.net and we thank him for allowing us to use his tracks. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. Hey Kids Comics.